Think about what the goals of the company are and how you are helping advance those goals through what you're bringing to the table as an HR person. Everything you do has to tie back to the goals. And they may be incredibly different from one year to the next. You know, what you what you train on, what you, what you teach people, what the skills that you uh, expect from the marketplace when you bring people in, how you recruit, everything changes depending on what the goals of the company are. Hello and welcome to the Making Better podcast, where we talk about how to make ourselves, our teams, and our organizations better. Whether you are a business leader, a talent development professional, or an individual contributor, this show will give you actionable insights of how you can improve your own performance and the performance of those around you. Our guest today is Kathy Mandato. Kathy is a dear friend of mine, an expert in the people side of business. I first met her when she was the executive vice president of HR at NBC Universal. And since then, she has only become more impressive, leading HR at tech giant Snapchat and now the XPRIZE Foundation. This is the organization founded by Peter Diamandis to use multi-million dollar prizes to solve challenges like spaceflight and climate change. In this episode, you will learn about some of the differences between working at large and small organizations, how to build strong connections throughout a business when coming from the HR side, what it takes to build high-performing teams, and a lot more. Before we get into the discussion, I need to remind you that if this is your first time listening to the show, make sure you subscribe so you never miss a future episode. And if you were already subscribed, then I would ask that you please share this show with at least one other person, because that is how we grow. With that, let's get into the discussion. So when we first met, you were working in a really large entertainment industry or entertainment company. You spent your whole career working in pretty large entertainment companies until a couple years after I met you, you completely, what to me seemed like completely changed directions and have been in the tech industry, have been in startups. What was, what was that shift like? When I left the large entertainment studio I worked for, it was after being in that company for 10 years. And they had, you know, they were part of an even larger company, yeah. right, that, that uh, owned them. Um, and while I loved every minute of it, and I feel so fortunate and lucky to have had that experience, I knew when it was time to leave. And it was interesting because when I was interviewing for, sure. you know, new jobs, I interviewed for large companies. I mean, it wasn't like I was pursuing only small. Um, and what I found was those large, I'm sorry, those smaller companies, the startups, for example, were like, well, have you ever rolled your sleeves up? And, you know, how do you handle a small company? And can you even, you know, in essence, can you even do it? Of course. Have yeah. You yeah. Real work? Have you, you done know, real work? <laughs> and it was such an eye-opening experience for me because it's not as though if you are in a large company, you're not rolling up your sleeves and you know, doing something every single day. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of funny, but you yeah. are put in a position where you absolutely have to prove that you can roll up your sleeve. So I thought, okay, well, I've always been one person to say, uh, how do I fill in all my gaps? How do I make it undeniable that I would be hired for small, large, middle, you know, size companies? And um, I went about, you know, putting yeah. it out into the universe and frankly, finding opportunities that were with very small companies and um, mostly companies under a hundred employees. 
So one such company is the company yeah. I am yeah. at now as a full-time regular employee. And, uh, you know, how I did that is, you know, frankly, I offered my services in ways that uh, made it palatable for them to take a chance on me. I mean, I had five different compensation structures I was dealing mm. with at the time just to gain that, you know, small uh, company experience and to prove that I could roll my sleeves up. Um, yeah. And then once I did, yeah, that, that, you know, it was easy to, you know, dive into, frankly, any type of company. But the world has changed a lot since that time. So. I mean, it's only been five years ago, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the world. Yeah, the world's definitely changed a lot in those five years, especially on the people side. I would say, when you when you made that change, so you know, you mentioned that you know you had to prove yourself that you were there to roll up your sleeves. But it's not like you don't do anything in these bigger bigger companies. But I would imagine the like is what is the big difference, especially from the people perspective in the people function, when you talk about these, you know, tens of thousands plus employees, like the the kinds of things that are happening day to day, the, the challenges of the people function, what does anything change? Is it like the scale of the problems when you go to these smaller companies or I don't know what, what, what's different. I'll tell you, I'll answer that in two ways. One, when you're in a large company, you have large resources, you have a team, you have people to delegate to, you yeah. have, in my case, um, these centers of excellent structure that you can rely on for things that you don't have the bandwidth for. Um, and or the things they want to kind of keep in those uh, centers of excellence. So your job is kind of sliced and diced a bit smaller uh, in some ways in some of these larger organizations. Okay. You know, in my case, I had to give up some things that I was overseeing from an HR perspective. Uh, I used to oversee all aspects of HR in a large company. And then when I went to an even larger company, I had a more defined mm -hmm. scope, right? So, um, but you do, you still have the luxury sure. of resources yeah. uh, in an, a situation like that. Then when you go to a smaller organization, you know, the resources are not really there. I mean, you've got to, I call it H arts and crafts. You know, you kind of have yeah. to put your hands in and do arts and crafts <laughs> to get your job done um, and create things from scratch. And I think that really taps into, you know, your creativity more. It taps into your... Um, I don't know, you're on your ingenuity a little bit more. And it's, it's an exciting uh, place to be in a smaller company. But your question about are things really different? I'm going to say not really. I mean, the reality is that the tone is set at the top. I think that's fair. In almost every organization I've ever been in, how the CEO and the leadership team functions sets the yeah. tone for everyone else. Um Values matter. Defining those values and teaching those values matter. You know that because you helped me do that at my current company, and it has made a huge difference. Yeah. Um, people want development. They want to continue learning and growing. Um, and, you know, it's really kind of people have needs, no matter if they're working for a small company or a large company, and I kind of see them as yeah. the same. That I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you see, I mean, earlier you mentioned how much things have changed over the past few years. Um, I think one of those changes that we, I mean, we've even kind of chatted a little bit about this is I think um, 
there's much more of a focus, I would imagine, especially at smaller organizations, but at all organizations on kind of people-centric operations and being human and, you know, tr- you know, putting your employee first, you know, from your, in, from what you've seen, how, I guess, one, how has that changed? And then how is that, mo- more than it's changed, like, how is the balance of that change? Because, as, you know, you, as the HR person, you have to be setting, like, rules. You have to set guidelines for people to follow, but then you can't make them so strict that you're not being kind of human anymore. I don't know if that if that makes sense. Like, where, where's that balance? Family question. I've been talking about this a lot lately. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to, let's take a little uh, journey in the Wayback Machine, which is really only way back, maybe 10 years, yeah. right? I mean, everything changes let's do it. these days. And, you know, I'm not going to name company names, but let me just say industries. So the tech industry, I kind of say the tech industry started this. They, yeah, okay, all right, good. I think that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, I mean, I'll just say when I worked at DreamWorks, I mean, it was one of the most absolutely competitive times in animation that has ever been. And we were always trying to figure out how to be as competitive as possible. Mm. Sometimes that meant creating all of the fun mm-hmm, perks and mm-hmm. benefits that your competitors were creating, but even trying to one-up those, right? So all of a sudden it became a game of how much can you give your employees? Sure. And, you know, that worked for a, a lot of reasons. It retained people. It made people believe and care, and feel that you cared about them as individuals, which we did. Um, but there's only so much of that that you can do um, and maintain, you know, the budgets and the fiscal responsibility that you have as an organization. I think ultimately sure. there have to be uh, boundaries on those kinds of things. And people have to be in the company for the right reason, not because you have a game room, not because you give free lunch, you know, all of the perks and benefits that we love. Um, But they have to be in the company because they believe in what you're doing. They have a passion for working for that company. Um, You know, they feel like they're being treated well and with respect. That's absolutely table stakes in my opinion. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, the responsibility they have to you is that they're going to bring their, their best work every day and you're going to treat them well. Um, I say that it's changed a lot because I believe that things did get a little bit out of control in terms of how much employees could expect to get. And when the job market is tight and you are competing for the same talent that everyone else is, then you bring more of that to the table. But when it becomes yeah. an employer, uh, you know, opportunity. And there's, you know, a lot of employees applying for the jobs that you have. Um, you know, you're not in the position of having to do all of the things you used to do. So the employees have to also flex how they're coming to the table. They may not get all the perks and benefits that they once had. Things have changed in that way, I think, uh, quite, quite a lot. You know, even though we still live in a world where it's a relatively light, tight labor market, yeah. we definitely live in a, the, the economy has completely changed over the last year, year yeah. or so. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's where you see, it was that change in the economy where you saw, again, kind of from the tech sector, this like, 
real big pullback of a lot of those things that you're talking about here where you know we're we're doing less perks we're having less we're hiring less people um a really big reset of kind of to your point of focusing on what's the mission like what are we here to do are you here to do what we're here to do or you're here because of free lunch and, and things like that, right. you know, obviously, obviously that all of this exists in a big spectrum and nobody's, you know, it's not like that black and white choice. Um, mm -hmm. and it, you but know, there's definitely I, been a movement for sure. I want to be a people first leader. I do. But I actually think you have a major obligation to your company to, you know, to bring the right people in who are, who have a passion for what you do and who are going to help you get from point A to point Z or wherever you're going. Um, so I almost want to say I like the idea more, frankly, of a mission-driven culture where people are treated well. I think you can have both, right? But people have to be there for the right reason because that's where the motivation yeah. comes from. That's where the engagement comes from. Uh, you can't really train that into people, you know. They're going to be excited because they believe in what you're doing. It's interesting because what I'm a part of what I'm hearing you say, relating it to kind of the talent development spaces. I think that one of the most common themes that of discussion that I'm hearing in learning development and talent development these days is the need to be closer to the business and more focused on the business and that we operate on these silos and we just want people to learn. And so we're really excited about, you know, giving people all these learning opportunities without always asking the question, like, do they need these opportunities? Like, how is this opportunity going to push the business forward? I'm, I'm sure that has to happen more broadly in HR as well. For you as an HR leader, how do you keep close to the business and make sure you the things you're doing, like you said, you want to be a, a people first leader, but ultimately your responsibilities are to deliver people so they can execute on the mission of the business. Like, how do you stay close to the business? You know, when people come to me and they go, oh, I want to be in HR. And I'm like, don't be in HR, be in business. <laughs> you know, it's fine to, you know, study <laughs> HR. But when you are in an HR role, don't practice HR. Yeah. Practice what's best for the business first and let that drive all of your HR initiatives and practices and programs. And it's funny because as you mentioned earlier, yes. we all are in our, yes. you know, our area of the business. We want to drive forward our agenda, but if our agenda doesn't match what the company's agenda is, we're just spinning our wheels and wasting time and wasting resources and money. So I always tell people, please, you know, think about yes. what the goals of the company are and how you are helping advance those goals through what you're bringing to the table as an HR person. Uh, everything you do has to tie back to the goals. And they may be incredibly different from one year to the next. You know, what you, what you train on, what you, um, you know, what you teach people, what, the skills that you uh, expect from the marketplace when you bring people in, how you recruit, everything changes depending on what the goals yeah. of the company are. Yeah, I think we've, and we've had discussions about that and we definitely both agree in, um, yeah, it's really important to ideally have that, you know, it's great when you can, some of the most successful HR people and learning people I've seen have come from the business into the space rather than like being in the space for their entire careers. And then the people who are in the space for their entire careers they do definitely have that business focus first of like, mm -hmm. it's, and it's, it's, I don't know, 
I don't know what it is. I was, I was having this. I don't know if you have anything, have any thoughts on this. Cause I was talking to a buddy of mine who's in town development and he's, he works in at a consulting firm mm-hmm. and how he really wanted, he really felt that we needed to change the view that we were kind of less important or foundational or not like central to the business that like we needed to do a lot of work to change, to change that feeling and kind of referencing this idea that like when a lot of people, you know, it's like the old adage of just like, if you can't do teach, you know, (laughs) it's like, so it's like, you you know, by being in HR, by being in instruct, you know, learning development, this idea, well, like you're not part of the real business. You're off to the side and he wants to change that. And I, and there was part of me that was just kind of, that always kind of thinks it's exactly it's not we, we, but we are the foundation we're not the sexy part we're not the yeah. exciting part and so why why try to change it just know what we are and and own it especially i would say in the entertainment business for as long as i was in that business which was you know 25 plus years yeah there was many companies i worked for where they had no idea what hr actually did and i would say i've got to go in and how I yeah. set the tone, how I set the example is what they think HR does. So I was actually teaching them what I could do. And, you know, I can't say I never had a seat at the table. I was always at the table. And I think partially because I was focusing on what they found to be important in the business, not, hey, I want to do this and that and the other. And they're like, why do we need mm. that? You know, no, you don't, you know, that's not how to sell something in. You need to first approach it from what need they're trying to meet yeah, and how you can bring in a program. I try not to actually use HR words <laughs> or nomenclature too, right? Uh, consultant, speaker, whatever the yes. case might be. Because yes. frankly, yes. my first 12 years in the, uh, you know, as a, of a career was not in HR. It was in sales. It was in the ad agency world where I, you know, focused on, strangely enough, public relations in the ad agency world and being an account executive And when I transitioned over into HR, I was sort of this weird, you know, alien from another planet because everybody was like, oh, you don't speak HR. And I'm like, yeah, I don't even know a thing about HR. Um, I was lucky to come in at the manager level because I had been, you know, a high title in my other job. And it was just a very interesting lesson for me to realize that people don't relate to you because you're in HR. They relate to you because you're helping them forward their goals and initiatives and their business. Um, And so I think that that has to always be our mindset. And as long as it is, I think we will have that seat at the table. I think that people will see us as real business people. And, you know, if we can bring that operations mindset to the table and use, you know, let's say the word data. I mean, you and I are big believers in using data to sell in our programs, you know, we are the people with the data. We are the function that knows people across the entire organization. We know everyone and not other, other leaders don't. They know their team and they know the teams they interact with. Very rarely does a leader interact with all teams like we do. So therefore we have lots and lots of data that really matters to leadership like retention data, um, data on why people are leaving, uh, data on how people feel about the company through our engagement surveys. Um, We need to use that and not because we're in HR, but because we have it and it's helpful to 
you know, uh, design programs and other initiatives that are going to move the company forward, uh, you know, uh, with the goals of the company. So, I don't know. It's just a, we should never think we don't have a, t- a seat at the table because we do. <laughs> and we have to approach it. Mindset. Yeah, there's definitely that. Un- and it's, it's, it's how we bring that unique data that we have to the, to the table and how we talk about it. And I think that's, that's totally right. And talk about it in terms of, you know, there, there's a, there's actually a really great book that's back on my shelf um, uh, called making a, building a story brand. Mm. And it's about it's about branding and marketing, and so that's why I'm reading it, you know, to help help build my company. But I think one of the key elements of it is that when you are when you run your own business, when you're a consultant, which in many ways I think a lot of HR internally is often acting kind of as an internal consultant because you're not a part of the core business unit. You're coming there and talking to them, and the 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 trap that a lot of us fall into business leaders, salespeople, that kind of thing, is thinking that the goal is for us to be the hero of the story. So true. That when we're building this story, we're saying like, I'm I'm gonna come save you. And that is in sales, any kind of sales, whether it's me as a business selling to you or you as an HR person selling to a director in your company, your whole goal is to craft a story where they are the hero. You're here to help them become the hero of their story. Yes, and when yes. you can tell that kind of story, and, that's and said how you maybe build a different way. Also, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's not your agenda; it's their agenda. What is their agenda? You know, I love what you just said yes. because it also reminds me yes. of a very important skill that we need to have, not just in the HR function but in almost every leadership function is that ability to tell stories and to, you know, create those presentations in a way that people are going to listen. Um, And, you know, having been in branding and advertising for quite a while, that was, you know, something I was trained in very early on. um, You always have to back up why you want to do something with data and, you know, the context, frankly, uh, of why it's important for the company. And that's really another way of saying you need a you need to tell the story correctly to get that support. Yeah, absolutely. Shift, shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, especially the past, I mean, throughout your career, but especially in the past few years, you've worked at some incredibly high performing companies with, you know, and I've, I've gotten to work with you. I've had the privilege of meeting some of these people, very high performing individuals. <laughs> From a you know a people perspective, is there anything is there any unique challenges about about that kind of situation where you have you know I'm just I, I kind of think of it it's like density it's it's like with a a star or something you know where it's like it gets it's just a big ball of gas and then it gets denser and denser and denser and eventually like it all explodes and I can imagine a world where you know I've gotten the chance to work with some people and sometimes they're big personalities and you know I, I don't know if you any kind of interesting particular challenges to those kinds of situations from the people perspective? That company that I'm with now, yes, high performers. And it's very funny. I'm always saying this. There are so many parallels to the entertainment industry. And I could someday you and I should Mm. work on that. I'd love to do a presentation (laughs) to just basically figure out how many things are just like in entertainment because there are very many parallels, yeah. but also the fact that there were big personalities and very high performers in the entertainment world as well. So, you know, that stars, makes sense. That makes sense. celebrities, et cetera. 
Um, yeah. And now here I am with stars of a different type. These are people that come out yes. of scientific organizations, governmental bodies, uh, institutions, universities, um, places where I never thought I'd be talking to these people ever. And because I lead yeah. recruiting as well as HR, uh, I mean, every day I talk to people, uh, you know, who are running the energy department, uh, running, uh, you know, they're leading a major department at MIT. I don't know. It's just a whole different uh, type of individual. But I have enjoyed that greatly. And I sometimes go, I pinch myself. I'm like, I'm so fortunate to have this job where I can talk to all of these wonderful folks. Um, that being said, I mean, there are good wonderful uh, traits that all of those people bring with them, but there are also things that you have to watch out for. Right. Um, and again, I'm going to say just mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. in entertainment, you know, it could be ego. It could be, you know, people who think it's their way or the highway. I think this exists almost in every industry. Right. Um, yeah. Absolutely. People who have, um, there are people who aren't able to speak to lay people uh, but we need them to be able to, right? So when we're doing the recruiting, we're looking for all of these things that uh, someone can translate scientific data to, you know, a donor who maybe knows nothing about climate change or, um, you know, wildfires or whatever we happen to be working on at the time. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I would say ego, uh, you know, finding people with humility who don't think they have all the answers. Um, you know, one of the um, tenets that comes from our founder, Peter Diamandis, is I, I'm not exactly sure what Peter says, but it's something like beware of experts, people who say they have all the answers, mm. because someone who comes in who has mm -hmm. all the answers is not curious. They're not going to find new solutions to new major world challenges. We need people to come in who don't think they have all the answers and can see the possibilities. If there was one trait, I think, is the most important thing that we look for, it's people who have enough scientific uh, background um, to know, I guess, to have that BS meter, you know, to know if something's you know, truly possible or not possible, but somebody who's willing to explore all of the possibilities. So beware of the expert, I think, yeah. uh, when you're interviewing people, you know, look for that humility. Um, and I think that would be the number one thing I would say, but we're lucky because we do have a really great leadership team. And I, I will say maybe we're just good at hiring, but we don't really have to deal with that uh, on our team. I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's one of the benefits of, of having a smaller high performing team is that you can be extremely discerning exactly in, in your talent process. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson quote, where I think he says, the key is to know enough to think you could be right, but also know enough to know that you almost certainly are wrong. Yeah, I love like, that. Th there's yeah. like, you know, there's like, a, he, he says it a little bit differently, but something like yeah. that. Um, uh, that <laughs> yeah, yeah excellent. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. Since so since you mentioned that you are sitting in front of both people and, and the recruitment side of it, do you have any, right now, do you have any thoughts on like that? Basically, when a company, when an organization needs new talent, it has two options. It can buy it or it can build it, right? Like those, those are the two options. And there's various reasons why you would do one or the other. 
Um, you know, like you were just saying, you're looking at these individuals coming in and maybe they're an expert in their field, but they don't quite have like the communication ability that you would want, you know, are you in any discussions around kind of thinking through what are we going to buy versus what are we going to try to build? I think, I think I've seen some of that when I was, when I was there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you come in to lead a domain and that's our, an area of, um, one of our areas that we cover. So we have seven of those, right? They're very different, but they, you know, um, that's where our prizes live under each of these domain areas. You have to come And a domain would be like, yeah, it'd be like energy versus space versus, you know, like big, big picture domains. Exactly. So, I mean, I could rattle through them very quickly, but you're right. Climate and energy, biodiversity and conservation, space, um, deep tap, deep tech, quantum and AI, food, water, waste, uh, learning and society. Anyway, under each of those, if you're leading that area, you have to have the expertise for sure. And you got to bring that scientific background because we really want to lead with our science and uh, we require a PhD uh, generally for that role. Um, So that's, uh, you know, a very a way to kind of, I guess you'd call that buying versus building, but we have to do it that way at the top. Now, underneath each of those domain leaders, there are positions where you are not required to have that scientific background, but you need other skills. And Mm. that's where we're trying to build and develop those internally. Um, And sometimes we have to bring people in from the outside because we are scaling right now, but uh, we do both. We do both buy and build. It, I'm I'm working on interview training, hiring and interview training with a couple organizations right now. And, you know, what you're saying really reminds me of the real importance of knowing what is the skill of this job mm-hmm. for any for any role. Right. Like and, you know, so for those people at the top, the domain leaders, the skill is being the domain expert. So like they need to bring that in, yeah. whereas maybe someone lower down, the skill is project management. And they don't necessarily need the domain expertise. They can get that while they're there, but then they need to bring the project management expertise. And so just when you're making that buy, build decision, chances are you're not going to build the key expertise of the role. (laughs) Like like that's table stakes. Yes, exactly. By the way, I thought of the other domain and I'm Dr. Jamie Justice. (laughs) I'm going to give her a special mention because I forgot her domain. And what's crazy about it is it's our health domain and we just launched the largest prize ever at X prize in her domain. And I could not come up with that at the beginning, but yeah, it's a, it's called the health span X prize, but um, anyway. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of buy and build. Now we also have the other functions like marketing, accounting, you know, our business and legal affairs department, all of those, you know, human resources, et cetera, where, we do tend to grow people from within if we can, but we're, you know, we've undergone quite a shift in our own organization to where I'm going to say nearly half of our employees are new in the last couple of years and we have a hundred employees. So that's 50 plus that are new. Um, And uh, that's been really exciting because they bring in, exciting ideas, enthusiasm, engagement. We've gotten our act together in terms of how to interview better to spot the values that we're looking for, you know, thanks to your training and your help with that. Um, 
you know, I'm better at looking at who brings, you know, curiosity to the table, boldness, accountability, rigor, et cetera, in our interviewing process. We've incorporated questions about that. So I think we're just, we've just gotten better all Excellent. around. And when we buy the talent, awesome. I guess, go to the outside for that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kathy, I want to make sure to respect your time. We always close up with kind of a similar set of questions. So one question I would have is, is there a particular book or podcast that you think everyone should read or listen to and why? Well, I, I did think about this and I have to say, and I, I swear it's not because our, my founder wrote it. <laughs> I really, I swear, because I read this book and handed out at least 125 copies of it. Uh, in 2014 and 2015 when it first came out. Um, and I didn't work at XPRIZE then, but it was written by uh, Salim Ismail uh, and Peter Diamandis and Michael Malone. It's called Exponential Organizations. And it was a game changer for me. And the rest of the title is Why New Organizations Are 10 Times Better, Faster, and Cheaper Than Yours and What to Do About It. And the reason why that resonated oh. with me is because I was in a traditional entertainment company when streaming was disrupting everything. And I had people who thought mm -hmm. things were not changing and they couldn't think outside of what they'd known for their entire careers. But it, that was a, a major train coming down the tracks that, you know, traditional entertainment companies needed to see. And now we've seen the result of that. Right. Um, so this was my way of waking people up using this book and they just came out with 2.0, a second edition, and I just went okay. through that and read that. And it's, you know, got obviously has new information in it, but it also has just reinvigorated and re-energized and reminded me of the tenets in that book that are so important. Um, and, you know, that's where I saw Beware of the Expert. You know, you got to be careful, uh, you know, uh, that you're not thinking you have all the answers. Um, the, just one of the many things that you'll learn from that. But the reason why this book, sorry, I'm going uh, down a long-winded path here, um, is so important is disruption has not stopped. Disruption was kind of a new word but in 2010. Yeah, I don't absolutely. know, I'm picking yeah. a number, but I think like back 10 years back, <laughs> everyone was saying disruption, disruption. And it felt like it was overused at one point. But I'm telling you right now, AI is going to disrupt us in a way that we've never seen before. And if you're not ready yeah. and you're not prepared um, because you've kind of settled in and you're comfortable where you are, that's not going to work. So I would grab that book or a book that talks about disruption. Uh, there's a test in the book to see if you're an XO company. Um, and I think it's really uh, important to be ready for what's next because it's going to be huge. AI everywhere okay. in every aspect oh, of what we do. Yeah. yeah. And for learning and Absolutely. development people, okay. Matt, I would say they should be thinking about how they can uh, train and uh, bring education on AI into the workplace, no matter what the workplace is. So, yeah. 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 I think that's a big one for sure. Yeah. Awesome. You, you may have already answered this a little bit, but maybe I'll go in a different direction when I ask it kind of directly. Um, what is one skill that has most helped you be successful in your life? Well, I don't know if this is a skill, but I've never been afraid to lose my job. And I think when you say what needs to be said, 
and you kind of say the unsayable or you say what everyone else is thinking, but you have the courage mm-hmm. to say it, you're seen in a, a way <laughs> that, you know, you're seen as a leader. You're seen as somebody who's not afraid to put yeah. things out on the table that need to be discussed. And I, yeah. I guess, you know, there was a, a learning and development class that I took a long time ago where somebody said, this is an important skill. And I took that seriously. It was, I think they said, discuss the undiscussables, be willing to do that. And no matter what level I've been at in an organization, I've been willing to do that. And I definitely think that's a skill. Yeah. You got to be careful, but um, people appreciate it. Uh, as long as you uh, do it with a productive mindset, you're there to solve a problem. So I guess another skill I would say that's attached to that is problem solving. You just got to be a good problem solver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, we all have the ability to develop. That's what it all comes back to. You know, so. Awesome. Well, it's always great talking to you, Kathy. Thank you so much for taking time. It's always great to get a different perspective, I think, from a much a broader people perspective, a larger organizational perspective. Um, always great to hear. So thank you so much for being here today. Well. I love working with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you liked the discussion, make sure to hit like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. As a reminder, if your team is struggling keeping up with the training development demands of your organization, we want to help. Better Everyday Studios is a full service instructional design team that can help you with everything from ideation to actual content creation and delivery. Please reach out to us using the link in the episode notes below. Have a great day.